Ladies and gentlemen, it is the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. I am Robert Winfrey. Thank you very much for tuning in. Happy to be here. Happy to give you another look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. All right, before we get going, you know the routine. Please like, comment, subscribe, review. If you've done all of that, if you're already subscribed via whatever feed you're in, if you've already given the video, if a you know, video or individual episode some kind of interaction, please share it. Uh, tell somebody about it. Share it on your favorite social media platforms. Anything you can do like that will just help us out tremendously here at the show. So thank you very much. Get that out of the way. Because it's the least interesting part of what we do here. But it needs to be done. All right, on the agenda this evening, we've got some stuff to talk about. Last night, UFC on ESPN 22. It was an event. Sort of. Uh, there was some other combat sports news I'm going to have to talk about just a little bit. may not want to, but I'm going to. I, I feel it would be somewhat of a... Hmm, a violation, that's a, not a violation, a dereliction of duty, if I didn't do at least a little bit of discussion about very popular things. Uh, even if I'm not personally interested, I my interests are not do not dictate to anyone else's, so I will, I'm willing to expand myself in that particular respect on occasion. This upcoming Saturday, UFC 262. UFC is back at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena. They'll be in Jacksonville. This was the first place they were able to run after their month, after their couple of month layoff uh, due to the pandemic in 2020. Now they'll be back at that same building, and they have a sold out stadium show. Stadium. They have a sold out show and three title fights. We got a lot to preview. Then there's some news. Uh, some fights. Uh, have been announced. Uh, that's kind of the big thing. We got three title fights announced for various events. Uh, and a couple of the smaller pieces of news like that. So we'll get to all of that. Uh, hope not to take up too much of your day, but we're going to get through what we have to get through. All right, let's go on now. UFC on ESPN 22. Uh, your main event. Let's start there, per usual. Robert Whitaker defeats Calvin Gastelum via unanimous decision. 50-45 across the boards. I was 50-44. I thought Whitaker did enough to kind of edge out a 10-8 in the first. Not surprised people didn't agree with me, but eh, uh, I'm the one doing that, and I always acknowledge that my <laughs> my scoring is, uh, how do you say it? There's a lot of other factors that go into my scoring, and just in the sense that I'm doing a lot of other stuff rather than just watching and scoring the fight. Uh, this was a really, like, borderline brilliant performance from Whitaker. He moved well, he found, he kept intercepting Gastelum every time Gastelum wanted to come in, splitting his timing with a straight right on occasion, his, you know, one-two to right head kick, a, very, a favorite combination of his, scoring takedowns, surprising Gastelum with a few of them, getting in some top control, some uh, ground and pound from top position. Uh, Whitaker might Especially with GSP retired, I think Whitaker probably has the best jab in MMA. Uh, there's a few other people who use the jab very well. But I don't know too many people that use it as well as he does and that build off of it like he does. 
anytime Gastelum was trying to enter the pocket on him to throw punches, it was he got chewed up by that jab just over and over and over again. Turned into a left hook a few times. Uh, just a really, really brilliant performance by Robert Whitaker. Not perfect. Again, he got hit a few times, but he never was in trouble. Uh, stopped all but like one takedown. And the one that Gastelum hit, he bounced immediately back up, got free. I don't even know if they scored it a takedown or not, but, uh, I mean, it was a takedown, I think, in terms of tech, you know, technically he was down. But at no point did Gastelum assume any uh, kind of control over the over the situation. Uh, yeah, just, just a brilliant performance by Whitaker. Leg kicks, he chewed up Kelvin with some le nasty inside leg kicks because they're opposite stances. Beautiful straight right. Again, the jab was working overtime. Uh, yeah, ju I, I run out of superlatives, man. Robert Whitaker is a very, very gifted fighter. He is just amazing to watch. Uh, that's three in a row for him now. He's beaten Darren Till. Jared Cannonier and now Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, he should be next. I mean, I, I don't know any other way to say that. He should be next for the title. His only... I mean, if you look at... Whitaker's resume is slept on perpetually for reasons that I don't fully understand. I mean, he's got one win... He had one loss, sorry. He had one loss before he got to the UFC. Sorry, two. He got submitted. He lost a decision... Uh, got into the UFC, won a couple of fights, lost a split decision to Court McGee, maybe should have gone his way, got finished by Stephen Thompson. It was in 2014. That was his last loss until Israel Adesanya beat him. He fought once more at welterweight in the UFC, then moved up to middleweight and went on a tear, including you know, winning the belt, never technically defending it. Uh, which was a, it's a shame, man. That's just a, that is just a shame. Couple of fights of the year uh, against Yoel Romero. The one in 2017 probably should have been. I don't think it was uh, by a lot of voting. But the one in 18 absolutely should have been. A bunch of idiots on like the UFC <laughs> Twitter account or whatnot voted for uh, Tony Ferguson and Anthony Pettis over that. To which I say, I say boo to you people. Uh, then, yeah, he got knocked out by Adesanya. But he bounced back in three consecutive wins over tough opposition. I mean, he's the next guy. He was uh, Gaslam even took this fight on short notice. It was supposed to be Whitaker against Paulo Costa. Which would have been a heck of a fight. Uh, this, uh, But, you know, you can only fight who's in front of you. Uh, he should be next. There's not really uh, another way around that one. He's beaten... The only other guy with a claim right now is Marvin Vittori. And it's unfortunate for Vittori that his... Vittori's on a slightly longer streak. But most of his wins are... He's, he's, he's less of a name than Whitaker, just to begin with. And his wins have been a lot less kind of memorable or impressive. I mean the okay the Till fight with Whitaker was 
that wasn't the best, but his fight with Cannoneer was a very good showcase of his abilities, and then you know, this one was great. This was your fight of the night. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's going on my list of nominees for fight of the year. I don't know where it will finish and when, all, when everything's said and done, but it's going on that list. Uh, he's, uh, he's, you know, the former champion, his only loss at middleweight in his entire, because uh, all of his career before he moved up in the UFC was at welterweight. So the only guy to beat him at middleweight is Adesanya. I think you give him a shot at, uh, I think you give him a shot at reclaiming the belt. Uh, I, again, it, it sucks for Vittori, who's on a good run, but. That's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles here. I do think this might be a slightly controversial point. I think the way they match up, Vittori might be a tougher fight for Adesanya than Whitaker. Uh, which is, that is not at all to say that Vittori is a better fighter. That's just to say the way Vittori fights might cause Adesanya more problems than the way Whitaker fights. I don't know, that might not be true, but that's, that's just kind of, that's a little bit of a hunch I've got. I'm not sure how true it is. Uh, but that's, yeah, that's kind of where that is. Give Whitaker the next shot. If you can put that in Australia or somewhere in the Oceanic region, do the rematch. I still, that this might, that might have given away my thoughts. I still favor Adesanya, uh, but phew, Whitaker's earned his shot. And I, he should get a chance to try and win it back. Just my two cents there. Uh, as for Gastelum, I don't know. He's Gastelum just kind of settled into this role of. I know he keeps tr doing that. I'm gonna get better. I'm still coming for the belt. But dude, you're one and four in your last five. Now, this is somewhat mitigated by opposition, right? Because. Those four losses are to, in order, Israel Adesanya, Darren Till, which was a split decision loss. I thought he lost. Uh, then he got submitted very quickly by Jack Hermanson. When he had 2009, you know, my fight of the year was him and Adesanya. Was him and, yeah, Adesanya. Beats Ian Heinish and then loses to Robert Whitaker. So you're losing to people near the top of the division. But you're still losing to people near the top of the division. Uh, I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know what is, he's just going to. I think he's just going to wind up being a guy kind of at this level. He's going to fill in for fight night or events like this. For He can main event something like this. I have a really hard time seeing him get a title shot. Uh, and I just. Uh, I, he's shown flashes of brilliance. But I don't think he's ever really been able to put everything together consistently. I don't know why that is, but that's just kind of my read on it. So that was your, yeah, that was your main event. The rest of this, we lost some fights very close to the event here. We lost one at the weigh-ins. Uh, there was supposed to be a fight between Zarafain and um, do 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 Josie and Nunez. Um, the way that happened, uh, they were supposed to fight at Bantamweight. Apparently, the day of the weigh-ins, they agreed to a catch weight limit of 139 because Farron was, uh, Farron was struggling with her weight cut. So they all agreed to a change in limit of 139. 
Uh, Nunez weighed in at 136, so she made bantamweight. Like, she made weight, and then they kind of went, hey, can we do a catchweight thing? And she said, sure, 139. Uh, and Fire and weighed, uh, 147. So congratulations, you missed weight for the weight class above the one you were supposed to be competing in. Which is always just a level of... That's always something that is a big, big red flag. Like, if you miss... If you miss weight by a little bit, again, the randomness of the universe, it kind of happens. If you signed to fight at bantamweight and would have missed weight at featherweight, we got a problem. I don't know what they're going to do with her or about that, but she weighed 147 and they, <laughs> uh, I believe the uh, commission just said, no, we're not going to allow this. Uh, yeah, so... Pfft. Uh, we had another fighter who missed weight on this card. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, we also lost the co-main event, Jeremy Stevens and uh, Drakkar Close. At the ceremonial weigh-ins, they kind of got in each other's face. They got close proximity. Stevens shoved him. And apparently whatever shove happened there aggravated some kind of a neck injury. Uh, or gave, I think he said you know he had a... I forget the specific medical terminology. It amounted to whiplash. A non-trivial amount. If you believe Close's account, and I don't really have any reason not to, his left hand kind of went a little bit numb. Uh, they took him to uh, the performance center. They evaluated him. He had like a mild concussion. And again, something with his neck. So... <sighs> um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I don't really have a whole lot of words there for that one. Um, just stupidity. Just sheer stupidity. Uh, for anyone, by the way, getting on Drakkar close, uh, guys, he trained for this fight. He made weight for this fight. He showed up for this fight. If a fighter can't compete, fighters will do every... Think about the, think about the stupid things you have heard fighters do and still get in the cage and compete with, right? There's a laundry list of guys who will, you know, come into fights with injuries, come into fights banged up. If a fighter pulls out of a fight, especially this close to the event, for a physical reason, it's because it was so bad it prevented them from doing so. You really going to accuse Drakkar close of malingering like that? Come on. Look, you want to blame somebody? Blame Jeremy Stevens for shoving the guy. I mean, just again, just stupidity on the part of Stevens. I mean, not to be overly dramatic here, but what happened was technically assault. Uh, nothing's going to come of it, but... Yeah, maybe we stopped doing that, guys. Huh? Just a thought. So, we lost some fights. We went with like 10, I think, at the end of the day. So, the rest of these are going to come a little bit faster. Andre Arlovsky defeated Chase Sherman via unanimous decision, 29-28. Andre Arlovsky has a remarkable ability to lose a first round, and then over the next two rounds, uh, <laughs> force you into a fight that he wins. He grinds down the pace, he just kind of keeps circling, keeps chipping at you, and you his opponents just become accommodating of this. 
it's it's a little bit remarkable that he's able to do that so consistently. I mean, you know, jokes about him aside, he is four and two in his last six fights. Those losses being to Jarzinho Rosenstrike, who knocked him out in like 30 seconds, and then Tom Aspinall, who hurt him badly in the first and then choked him out in the second. It's not... For all the losing streak that he went on, I mean, to be fair, he lost to... He was stopped by Stipe, Overeem, Barnett, and then Ganu. So, you know, four of the top... Those were four of the best heavyweights in the world at the time. And then lost a decision to Marcin Tabora. Uh, won a couple, then lost to Taitu Ivasa, Shamil Abdurahimov. Uh, he's just... He's really good. I mean, even the stuff like the two of Ossified, I think he won a round. He's just really good at making you fight the way he wants to fight. And you have to be able to disrupt that. Otherwise, you're probably going to lose. Arlovsky stepped in on short notice here, replacing... Jeez, uh, who was it? Oh, I can't remember. Why is it not listed here? Um, oh God. Uh, Parker Porter, that's it. So, I mean, I, kudos to Arlovsky for doing the short notice thing and coming out on top. Uh, fight sucked. I mean, just <laughs> for the record, the fight sucked. Right, uh, Jacob Malkoon defeated Abdul Razak Al-Hassan via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Uh, Malkoon just... Kind of dragged him down to the mat over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, yeah, it was... Uh, wasn't the most engaging fight, but if Al-Hassan can't stop someone like Jacob Malkoon from doing this to him, he's got some serious things he needs to shore up in his game. Uh, Tracy Cortez defeated Justine Kish via split decision. Uh, Cortez missed weight by half a pound. She weighed 126 and a half. To the best of my knowledge, this is her fir in first instance missing weight. So, it does happen, but something to keep an eye on. Uh, for the record, did not agree with, uh, didn't really agree with the split. And I really didn't agree with, there's a 30-27. There were two 29-28s, one each way, and then a 30-27 for Cortez. I don't agree with the 30-27. I thought Kish pretty clearly had the third round. Uh, the other two for Cortez... I, I have no issue with Cortez winning the fight, for the record. I gave her the first two rounds. I think that's correct. Uh, but not the third. Um, Luis Pena defeated Alexander Munoz via split... Uh, excuse me, Munoz via split decision. 29-28. I scored it for Munoz, but this all comes down to the second round. Munoz gets the first. Pena gets the third. How do you score the second? Um, you could argue for either guy, so... Uh, was an alright fight, I guess. Nothing great. That was your main card. On the prelims, Alexander Volk... Excuse me. Alexander Romanov defeated Juan Espino via technical split decision. A technical decision that was split. 29-28. Uh, about a minute and five seconds into the third round, Espino landed a illegal blow to the groin. Romanov couldn't continue, so they scored the third round, added it up with the other two, and we get this. I scored it for Espino. I don't agree with Romanov winning at all. Uh, I, I, Espino had the first... Here's my thing about this. 
if you watched the minute and five from the third round, you couldn't give it to Romanov. So Espino gets the third round minimum. Second round to Romanov, I don't disagree with. He was on top for most of it. I don't know how you give Romanov the first round. I just don't. Espino had, uh, they both had takedowns, but Espino had a better one. Espino had more top control time. Uh, I just don't agree with that. Uh, Jessica Penne returned from her long hiatus to defeat Lupita uh, Godinez via split decision, 29-28. I scored it for Penne, I seem to recall. Don't really have an issue with the split. Don't really have an issue with either woman winning. Just one of those fights. Gerald Mershart defeated Bartosz Fabinski via technical submission. Guillotine choke, two minutes of the first round. Uh, Fabinski just kept dropping for a takedown in close and kept leaving his neck out, and uh, Mershart finally grabbed it. I mean, finally, it was a two-minute fight. Grabbed it, and uh, then when they sank, when he sank to the ground going for the choke, uh, unfortunately, the fence blocked Fabinski's line of defense. So a few bits of adjustment later as they rolled, and Fabinski's asleep. Austin Hubbard defeated a good win for Mershart. And Mershart's a reliable guy for stuff like this. Uh, Austin Hubbard defeated Dakota Bush via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. Hubbard's really good about losing the first round and then winning the next two. And then kicking everything off, Tony Gravely defeated Anthony Burchak via TKO punches, uh, 131 of the second. Good stuff from Gravely. He looked pretty looked pretty smooth. Uh, just kind of beat up Burchak everywhere. So, of the entirety of this event, again, ten fights long, we had two finishes. The only reason uh, one other fight didn't go the distance uh, was because of the foul in the third round. Um, look, sometimes they're like that. Sometime, and we said it last week, or what? You know, this is not it was not a terribly deep card. Uh, sometimes they're just kind of a slog. On the plus side, the capstone was great. Whitaker's performance against Gastelum was genuinely great. So, to the shock of no one, for whatever it's worth, your post-fight bonuses: Whitaker and Gastelum fight of the night. Then the only two finishes on the rest of the card, Mershart and Gravely both got bonuses. So, yeah, that's what that was. Thank you to everyone who tuned into my live coverage of that. Uh, thank you to everyone who read after the fact. Uh, the full report is up in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com right now, so please go by and read it if you haven't. All right, next up, we have uh, something loosely akin to fighting. <laughs> All right. There were a couple of things from the last week I wanted to touch on briefly, so I'm going to kind of bundle these together with my thoughts on the Triller Fight Club event, about which the less said the better, but I'm going to say stuff. Uh, one F- uh, one championship excuse me, had their uh, second TNT event. Christian Lee got a really good win over Timofey Nasgyukin. Uh I know a lot of people make jokes about you know both Christian and Angela Lee because one is... So very, very blatantly uh, behind them. <laughs> a lot of favoritism going on there. But Nastyukin is nobody's pushover. And Lee's a legitimately good fighter. Uh, I don't know that we'll ever see him against you know someone outside of one. He's probably too comfortable with, what, with how that's set up. But 
Christian Lee's a very good fighter. And you again, jokes and memeing aside, the dude can crack, and he basically knocked out uh, Nostukin with a really nice left hook. Uh, Bellator had had their um, their light heavyweight Grand Prix continue, the most relevant portions of which. Ah, jeez, what was it? Uh, Vadim Nemkov defeated Phil Davis to advance, which surprises no one. Nemkov already Nemkov is the Bellator light heavyweight champion, and he is defending his title at every step of the tournament. So whoever emerges with the uh, at the end of this will be the light heavyweight champion. Wasn't a great fight, but Phil Davis doesn't have great fights. You notice that about him? I'm not trying to bury the guy. Phil Davis is a very successful fighter. But if you could tell... I couldn't tell you... The man was in the UFC for some time. I'm going to look up his record. Because I cannot, for the life of me, really tell you a whole lot about any of his fights. He beat Brian Stan in his UFC debut. He submitted Gustafson with an anaconda choke. That one I remember. Um, beat Rodney Wallace. Sure. Submitted Tim Boach. Don't remember. He beat... He lost the first round against Little Nog, Antonio Rogerio Noguera, then switched from a single leg... Switched from a double leg to a single leg and out-wrestled him for the last two. Got a shot at a main event. One of the early UFC on Fox events, actually. Was that the second one? Yeah. Him and Rashad Evans, UFC on Fox 2. And lost every round to Rashad Evans. Uh, let's see. couple of more wins. Beat Lyoto Machida when he probably shouldn't have. Uh, I remember him getting beat up by Anthony, jo Anthony Johnson and then losing. He beat Glover Teixeira. Had that terrible fight with Ryan Bader that led to him getting released. He's been in Bellator ever since. Uh, yeah, he's he's had a long career. He's had a very successful career, but he's not had any really good fights. He hasn't had any signature wins. Hasn't had a whole lot of finishes. He's a tough guy, but he doesn't quite seem to have that other gear. Uh, so he, I mean, again, Nemkov already beat him once before. Beat him again here. I think th the scores were officially 48-47. With Nemkov taking the first three rounds, uh, I think I I haven't watched the fight in detail. I seem to recall giving him the first four, and then ba and then uh, Bader, and then uh, Davis the fifth. But either way, uh, the other one, Corey Anderson defeated uh, Yagshimuradov. His first name I can never remember. Typical Corey Anderson stuff. So Anderson will fight Ryan Bader. Nemkov will get to fight the winner of the upcoming fight between Anthony Rumble John, uh, Anthony Rumble jo Joshua. No, Anthony Joshua is a boxer. Anthony Johnson and Yoel Romero, which would be a heck of a fight. So we got a little bit. Uh, so that continues rolling. The big one, in terms of uh, pop culture footprint, I suppose. Triller, this manifestation of burning money. Uh, put on their Fight Club event that was headlined by uh, YouTube sensation. Sensation might be a bit of a strong word. YouTube personality. And occasional... Uh, I kind of like Luke Thomas's description of stunt boxer. Because what he does is, is uh, certainly d nothing to be sneezed at. 
but it's also not quite boxing. Uh, Jake Paul knocked out Ben Askren in about a minute, I think it was. Uh, ben Askren, of course, former NCAA, I think it was a national champion, uh, former Olympian, former Bellator welterweight champion, former one welterweight champion, former UFC fighter. This was entirely predictable. Anyone with a modicum of common sense knew this was going to happen, told you this was going to happen, and yet here we are. With a bunch of people claiming this was a dive or this was fixed. I I can't... St- the only way you could possibly come to that conclusion is if you don't actually watch combat sports. Jake Paul punched Ben Askren really hard in the head. Ben Askren fell over. Ben Askren got back up. The referee then did the check on him. I want you to walk to me. And if you watch Ben Askren walk towards the ref, he's horribly unsteady on his feet. I don't know if that's an equilibrium thing. I don't know if his hip replacement was acting up. That's not a joke. The man had a hip replacement. I don't know if it was one of those two things. I don't know if it was both. The referee watched the man wobble forward and said, no, we're done here. This is what should happen. Guys, I I really would not hate if we had more boxing-esque stoppages in MMA. If you only watch MMA and you tuned in for this for the novelty and you thought, why is the ref waving this off? Because we as MMA fans, if you only watch MMA, are used to fighter to referees going, you know, my uh, the dark gods to whom I owe allegiance have not had enough blood sacrifices today. Please continue killing each other. That's not quite what you get in boxing for the most part. In no small part because most boxing refs have either been part of or were around instances where a fighter died in the ring. They're a lot more cognizant of that stuff than most MMA uh, referees are. Uh, So, this was not a fix. Ben Askren didn't take a dive. Ben Askren just got paid 500 grand to show up and get knocked out by Jake Paul in about a minute. And look, man, I don't blame the guy. He made almost twice what Robert Whitaker made to win in a tough, brilliant performance in the over five rounds in the UFC. I mean, Jake Paul made, like, Baskin made $500,000. I think Whitaker's take-home from that, they was disclosed, right? It was disclosed he made, like, 160 I want to say. Well, that would be a... Uh, I, I can't remember exactly what it was. Uh, might have been, might have been right around two after, might have been 200 after he, uh, after the win bonus. I don't know. Either way, Ben Askren made significant, made significantly more money than, uh, Robert Whitaker did. And Jake Paul made like 690,000. I think that was just a disclosed purse to say nothing of whatever sponsorship he got or cut of whatever sales this thing did. Yeah, assuming those are applicable points. Uh, yeah, you know, not going to blame Ben Askren for cashing that check. Coming out, trying your best, and yeah, he got knocked out. He didn't throw the fight. He didn't take a dive. You want to ask me if this man trained as hard for this boxing fight as he did for his, you know, Olymp- for his run in the Olympics? No, I imagine he didn't. He's also... When did Askren go to the Olympics? Hang on, I want to remember which games he went to. 
I want to say in early 2000s. Uh, which Olympic Games did he go to? The 2008 Games. So that was Beijing. So, yeah. Um, what, 13 years ago, he probably trained harder. In the interim, he's fought for several years, had injuries, and again, had a hip replacement. Uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> Do I? This was never going to go his way. I don't understand. And oh God, what kills me about this is all the stupid takes that are going to come out of this. Anyone that thought Ben Askren had a chance at winning this fight. Uh, you know, Dana White apparently bet a significant amount of money on, uh, on Ben Askren winning. Uh, other people were picking him, mostly MMA personalities. It's now they're going to come up with all kinds of excuses like, well, look at him. He didn't train. There was the I'll yell about this in a minute. You know, Ben could have won if he'd taken this seriously. Guys, I, I hate to break this to you, but Ben Askren is almost 40. Almost 40. 36. Jeez, he's only a year older than I am. and He's had a hip replacement. Okay, Ben Askren is 36, has been wrestling since he was in, you know, uh, very, very young, like pre-high school, he was wrestling, and was successful all the way through the collegiate and into and at the national, international stage where he represented the United States at the Olympic Games. Then he fought... He debuted professionally in 2009. He fought for 10 years. Like that's <laughs> the dude has had a grueling athletic career, so much so that he had a hip replacement before. Who has a hip replacement when they're that young? It, it's just not going to be a thing. He was at. Jake Paul was bigger, probably stronger, certainly in better shape, and has spent more time learning to box than Ben Askren has. If those two had squared off on a wrestling mat, Askren would have tooled him. If they'd squared off in an MMA fight, Askren probably would have beaten him. They weren't doing those things. They were boxing. Uh, there was a, a comment, I, uh, a comparison that I heard made from a YouTube channel about what this fight looked like. Uh, this was a prediction on this gentleman's part. It was uh, the Hard to Hurt channel, I think. And I, now that it's played out, I think it's accurate. Jake Paul is not some expert boxer. But he's probably at least the equivalent in jiu-jitsu terms of a two-stripe white belt. And Ben Askren's the guy off the street. If you've never seen what happens to someone fresh off the street who doesn't know what they're doing, grapple with someone even who's just a two or three stripe white belt. The stripe system will vary a little bit from school to school, but for the sake of argument, call it a two to three stripe white belt. What happens? The guy off the street gets uh, completely schooled. Ben Askren was a guy off the street. Jake Paul's a two to three stripe white belt in boxing. I know boxing doesn't have the belt systems, but 
the the metaphor holds the analogy holds this is what happens no one should be surprised this was just what it was <laughs> uh few notes about trailer one i hope oscar de la hoya gets help that man was blitzed out of his mind i i hate to make light of that because oscar's had some public battles with addiction but that man was not sober when he was on commentary uh, not at all both snoop dogg and pete davidson sucked uh they were they were not good co- pete davidson sucks generally I he has a degree of notoriety because he was on because he's on Saturday Night Live. That show's been in the toilet for at least a decade. Uh I mean, I, I don't jeez, 2000 since 2011. Yeah, give or take. I feel okay with that statement. I I really do. Uh he's I don't find him funny, but your sense of humor might vary. He was terrible in this role. Uh, Snoop Dogg as a, he was okay doing the gimmicky kind of watch along stuff with Uriah Faber, but as the broad, as the like lead, one of the lead broadcasters, he was terrible. I feel bad for Al Bernstein, who at least I hope cashed his check. Uh, he deserved better than that. The production for this event was a, to say nothing. So that's just the main event, right? Uh, Frank Mir turned in a, he slightly overachieved and Steve Cunningham showed up and just kind of coasted and beat him easily. Because Steve Cunningham is a professional boxer, a very notable cruiserweight boxer, who despite being outsized by Frank Mir, has, you know, a significantly greater amount of time put into boxing than Frank Mir does put into anything approximating boxing. Uh, there was a, a comical ending to Rage's Progray and even Re, um, Redcatch, which was your co-main event. Progray beat the crap out of Redcatch, and then Redcatch went, oh, he punched me in the groin. When Replay made it very clear, he was not, in fact, punched in the groin, but everybody just kind of went along. He complained so much they did a stretcher job. They went to a technical decision in that respect, uh, which Progray won, which was fine because he was winning the fight anyway. Uh, but that was comical. There were a lot of concerts. Um, apparently, apparently the soundtrack to this was basically what a strip club sounds like these days. I don't know. I've never been to a strip club, but that's what other people said. I have no reason to think they're lying about that either. So, just oodles of concerts, apparently. And my last bit on the production of this. Uh, there was no hard cam, it felt like. There was no hard camera for the boxing. So we got a lot of cutting between the guys on the apron, kind of trying to move around. It, it was just horribly distracting, and it was not a well-put-together presentation, technically. It wasn't quite as bad as, say, you know, the WWE's right now, where Pete Dunne decides we need to cut to a different camera every time someone lands a punch. You bucky, beaver teeth mother. Not going to swear on this show. <laughs> but stop that, Kevin Dunn. It's deeply annoying. And it was bad here when they didn't quite do it that badly, but just the lack of still camp. You couldn't see anything. It was impossible to read the action. Just a botched production 
with horrible commentary, headlined by a fight that was exactly what anyone with a modicum of common sense knew it was going to be. Uh, I feel bad for everyone that paid for that. Uh, it was it was just bad. Poor Mark. There's a uh, Mark Radulich. God bless that uh, combat sports trash panda. Did a brief little like alternative commentary with uh, one of the Chris's. I believe it was Chris Sheehan. Uh, they they did just a, a little bit of thing for the main event and poor you this event was so bad it drove someone who loves this kind of sloppy crap like in Mark to think about going in his words going into the woods to live deliberately. Uh, I I have nothing good to say about this absolutely nothing. I wouldn't I would not talk about it except I know there's a decent enough chance there's at least some thought from you guys about. Uh, because this was a big, there's much as, as stupid as this was, and boy was it, and as much as I hope there's never another one of these, and I really hope there isn't, I mean, we know there's going to be at least one more Triller event, because they bid very high for uh, Teofimo Lopez Jr.'s first title defense. At least get a hard camera set up for that, guys, I beg of you. We have to be able to see and understand the boxing going on. If we can't do that, we can't do anything. So there's... I'm, that's it. it much as stupid as it was, there's no denying that this was something people talked about, and I would be doing a disservice to myself and potentially to you all by pretending it didn't happen because I thought it was trash. I thought it was trash. Say I thought it was trash. I'm, I'm going to move on and... Potentially never speak of that again, because yuck. Alright, this upcoming event, UFC 262, the UFC again, back in Jacksonville, Florida. Back in front of fans for the first time in over a year. If you remember, the last event that the UFC had before they had to shut down because of the pandemic was in Brasilia, and they were not allowed to have fans. So we're first time with fan in front of fans in over a year. Well... In front of fans in the U.S., they had fans for um, one of their events uh, in uh, Abu Dhabi. I forget which one. Uh, so there was that. I have not missed MMA fans, for the record. All the all the drunken yahoos and the woos. No, I have not missed any one of you guys at those events as a viewer. At all. Not at all. Could never bring you people back into the fold, back into the arenas for stuff like this. I would be perfectly happy but that might just be me being a little bit grouchy and being the old man yelling at clouds so be it um all right triple title fight let's start at the top a rematch between welterweight champion kamaru usman and jorge masvidal these two fought on yaz island in abu dhabi at ufc 251 masvidal stepped in on about six days notice they went to a decision, which uh, Usman won fairly comfortably. I gave, I thought Masvidal won the first, but the rest of the rounds pretty clearly went to Usman. Wasn't a terribly interesting fight. Usman was able to force clinches, get takedowns, get mat returns, control, bot, some body shots, you know, just some stuff from the clinch, and grind it out. 
Since then, Usman went on to uh, get badly dropped by Gilbert Burns in the first round of their fight, rally, hurt Burns in the second, and stop him into the third. And Masvidal has not fought since then. Uh, 90% sure. Yeah, that was his last fight. I'm kind of in the same place I was the first time they fought, which is to say the following. I favor Kamaru Usman. Uh, without a lot of hesitation. Usman has heavy hands. He's coming along in the in the striking. Usman's wrestling is an interesting study because the man's knees are shot. So he can't do the shooting at distance thing. He kind of has to get close, clinch, and then when he changes levels, then either work for trips from there or change levels but without, again, kind of doing the real up-and-down blast double-leg thing. I think he mentioned on the, he was on the Joe Rogan experience at one point. He talked about how badly torn up his knees are. Uh, I think he mentioned, like, there are days when he can't walk on cement. Like, if he's walking, he has to walk on the grass. <laughs> uh, so dude's knees are kind of messed up. Uh, that's still just a problem for my... So, I favor Usman. I just... And I pick him, for whatever my pick is worth. But I am not going to be surprised if Jorge Masvidal beats him. Burns found his found Usman's chin and you know, kind of wobbled him a little bit. Now, Masvidal doesn't fight the same way Burns does. He certainly doesn't pose the same threat on the ground. That might have you know, kind of convinced Usman or di dissuaded him from getting takedowns the same way he would normally for out of respect for what Burns is capable of. Uh, Burns also really a little bit more of a wider puncher. While Masvidal a lot more straight punches. Masvidal is a very technically sound fighter everywhere. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately for him, you know, Usman's work with uh, Usman's done work with uh, Trevor Whitman for the last couple of camps, and that's starting to pay dividends in the way he strikes, which is terrifying because he was he was scary enough before the man could throw hands with any degree of consistency. Uh, yeah, I'm so point being, I'm not going to be shocked if Masvidal wins. I'd be a little surprised if he wins a decision. I think if he's going to win, it is going to come via stoppage. He's going to have to catch Usman early and kind of make something out of that. But uh, Masvidal is a good enough fighter to beat anyone. Whether he, again, that doesn't mean I pick him to win every fight, but I. I said a while ago, I'm done being surprised when Masvidal wins fights, because he's a very good fighter. I'm picking Usman. I will... Uh, I think that's the most likely outcome, but I'm not going to be shocked if Masvidal wins. So I, I expect Usman to win, though. Co-main event. Uh, strawweight title. Zhang Wei Li going for her second title defense, this time against former champion Rose Namajunas. I've gone back and forth a little bit on this one. This is, the, of the three title fights, this is the hardest to predict. This is the most competitive on paper. Whether How it plays out in practice, we'll have to see. There's a few things about this fight. Um, first of all, Rose, if she wins, would be the first woman in UFC history to regain a title after losing it. No one else has been able to do that. So it would be a, would be a significant accomplishment. 
there's a few ways that these two line up that are just a little bit hard to predict. Um, Rose struggles a little bit when she when she gets in close quarters with someone who is physically stronger than she is. And Zhang is... That woman is yoked up, man. She is physically strong. She's a very strong fighter. Now, how that plays into things... If it does, uh, remains to be seen, but that's something to pay attention to. If they get close and tie up, Rose not the greatest at dealing with someone physically stronger there. Not not terrible, but that's an area that she struggled with. Uh, on the feet, where most of this is going to take place, I think Rose is longer. I believe she has a reach advantage. Rose is really slick. She's really good about kind of tagging you at distance. And if you try to close on her, she's very, very good at slipping, rolling, pivoting. Uh, unfortunately, that's one of the things that just kind of perpetually leaves her, I think, at a disadvantage over lo in the long haul against Jessica Andrade whenever they fight. Uh, because Andrade will always find small spaces in those positions to capitalize on the more times you let her do so. Zhang doesn't fight like Andrade. Zhang hits hard, but she doesn't do the, a lot of the up-and-down body work, uh, which is one of the things she should invest in in this fight. Nama Yunus is a little soft to the body. Uh, Karolina completely changed the... Karolina Kovalkiewicz completely changed the complexion of their fight with one clinch sequence where she threw a couple of hard knees into, into the abdomen of Rose. Changed everything. Zhang doesn't do a lot of body work. Uh, so again, it's something she should seriously consider doing in this fight. While Zhang has power, she's also not kind of a... She doesn't really force the action the same way... So I'm keeping up Jessica Andrade because I think that's the clearest indicator of what you need to do in order to have success against Rose. You need to be able to force the action. You need to be able to crowd her physically in space. And you need to be able to fight up and down. And that, that's not just going to the body. If you can take her down, that's a big plus. Rose can grapple. But if you know what you're doing and you can get on top, that, that's an opportunity to land damage that she can't return right away. Well, Zhang's, Zhang is content to kind of circle. When she fought Joanna, and those two just kind of ran into each other like freaking rams... If you've ever if you've ever seen you know like mountain goats, mountain sheep, or you know, rams like that fight, they just back up and hit each other over and over and over again. And that's what Zhang and Joanna uh, did when they fought. Just clash, back up, circle, clash, back up, circle, and just repeat that. That's not really Rose's style. Rose tends to be, you know, either one or two at a time at distance. Or get into the pocket, be slick, but don't get tied up. Then disengage and force a real, like, reset separation. I don't know how Zhang's going to respond to this. Uh, Zhang doesn't have bad footwork, but she's not... But Rose has excellent footwork. The big question for me about this... Again, there's two. One, is Zhang going to do anything but headhunt? If Zhang works the body... 
the body especially. That's an avenue for success. The other is how well Rose can hold up relative to Zhang the longer this fight goes. What Rose does is very... Uh, her style is very labor-intensive. Which is not to say it's, you know, technically inefficient. She does stuff technically very, very well. But what she does is just requires you to do a lot of it. There's a lot of moving. There's a lot of slipping. There's a lot of, you know, punches at range. And you have... And to be able to maintain that good technique and avoiding the kind of chaos that your opponent represents consistently over over the long haul is a very, very difficult thing to do. And Rose, by the time you get to rounds four and five, a little bit at three, everything's not quite as smooth as it is at the beginning. Now, this is true of everyone. This is not some giant knock on her. But with the style that she presents, that's something to pay attention to. Um, big question about how Zhang is going to deal with someone who's going to both pick at her and be elusive. Joanna was content to be in her face that whole time, more or less. Uh, Jessica Andrade bull rushed her. How she deals with that kind of combination of aggression with, elus- with uh, elusiveness that Rose poses, that's not a combination that we've had to see Zhang deal with. It's a, so I don't know how she's going to deal with that, but if she can't, she's going to be in trouble. If Zhang lands, she hits hard, and Rose marks up. Uh, one of the things that I've noticed about her doing a little bit of tape study, if you can find her, you can damage her. Uh, Joanna marked her up a fair bit in their second fight, uh, Andrade in their second fight. I mentioned this before, Rose very, very lucky that fight... Uh, was only three rounds because her left eye was swollen shut at the end of that third. They would they would not have let her come out for a fourth. Uh, her nose got busted up in that fight too. And uh, Andrade hits hard, so does Zhang. Uh, I don't know who to pick here. Again, this is a really really tough fight to lean on. If I had to pick, and since I'm doing this, I have to pick. I'm gonna lean towards Zhang just a hair. Uh, but either woman can win this. I will not be surprised one iota if Rose Namajunas wins this fight. She's very, very good, and the questions that she poses of Zhang are not questions we have seen her have to answer yet. So, uh, call, it's kind of a coin flip for me, but uh, should be a good fight. That's the best fight on this card on paper. Your third title fight. Valentina Shevchenko against Jessica Andrade, who I talked a lot about just a minute ago. I have a harder time picking Andrade to win this fight. While Jessica Andrade is physically quite strong, and she's very... One of the things that uh, Shevchenko has to be mindful of here is the body work that Andrade is willing to commit. Most female fighters don't go to the body, which is somewhat tragic considering... Most of them could do more damage that way than punching in the head. A lot of them punch either with poor technique or just don't generate a tremendous amount of power for whatever reason. If you struggle with those two things, put some time into the body, that will pay off. Andrade is more than willing to punch your soul out through your ribcage. And Shevchenko's defense seems to be, is very high. You know, she's a lot of hands up kind of around her head. 
And I don't know that in leaving that big a target for Andrade to hit you in the ribs is the best idea, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out in real time. Uh, Shevchenko might make a few adjustments to her defensive style to allow for that. Who knows? She might just be very, very resilient to the body and not care. Uh, the big thing for me about this is Jessica Andrade is a very aggressive fighter. She comes forward a lot. Valentina Shevchenko likes fighting people who come forward on her because it's easy for her to counterstrike them. So, much like before, I'm not going to be... If Andrade wins, needs to be said, um, she wouldn't be the first two-division champion in UFC, in women's UFC history. That That's still Amanda Nunes. But she'd be the first to do it uh, when you get down to, like, strawweight and, bant- uh, strawweight and flyweight. Uh, that's not something that's really happened a whole... It's a rarity in general. Um, she's also, for the record, the first, fi- first female fighter to win in three different weight classes. Andrade is a very good fighter. She's a former champion. I just don't think this fight favors her based on how they match up. Anyone who is as aggressive as she is against someone with Valentina's ability... That's just a tough fight. I'm not. It won't be shocked if she wins, but that's a hard fight for her to win, man. Uh, the southpaw stance of Shevchenko, I think, is going to give her a few problems. Uh, she's going to be at a significant. I mean, Andrade is short. She's like five one. Uh, she's a murderously strong five foot one, but she's still just five one. So I I like Shevchenko. That's I'm picking her. That shouldn't be a big shock to anyone. It's just a tough stylistic matchup. Uh, that said, if Shevchenko starts fading, Andrade will. One thing you can't take away from Andrade: that woman will fight for five rounds, and she will be in your face the whole time. She is a little dynamo in that respect. But I. So I'm so I'm technically picking all three champions to retain. I feel confident in Usman and Shevchenko. Less confident in Zhang. Uh, that 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 fight with Rose, man, that's just a that's a coin flip. Again, can't quite predict that. Alright, as for the rest of this card, we have two more fights on the main card. Middleweight fight. Uriah Hall will fight Chris Weidman. These two fought on the regional scene. Uh, with, let me see, with, uh, Weidman won. This was the first, he's actually gave Uriah Hall his first loss. Um, Hall, let's see, when he was last seen stopping Anderson Silva at the end of October on a three-fight winning streak. Whereas Weidman, Weidman's still on a bit of a slide. Um, he beat Omari Akhmedov, but before that, I mean, the man is just like two and five in his last seven. Jeez. Now, again, this is somewhat mitigated by his level of opposition. Knocked out by Luke Rockhold. Knocked out by Yoel Romero. T killed by Gegard Mousasi. Beat Gastelum. Stopped by Jacare. Moved up to 205 and got stopped by Dom Reyes. So he's not... These are not chumps. But that does not bode well for his career trajectory. I mean, he got hurt by Omar Yakmedov. Jeez. Am I gonna? Am I really about to pick Uriah Hall to beat Chris Weidman? Oh, I don't want to. 
really don't. Uriah Hall is so up and down. But I think I am. I just don't have faith in Chris Weidman's chin at this point. I mean, I don't have a tremendous amount of faith in Uriah Hall's takedown defense either, but Weidman hasn't been... Yeah, I'm... I don't believe that. I'm going to feel like an idiot when Weidman steamrolls this guy, but... Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna pick Uriah Hall. And shame on me in the future for... Future me will curse current me, then past me for doing this, but that's a problem for future me. All right, and kicking off the main card, light heavyweights, Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute. Uh, Crute's a pretty decent prospect at light heavyweight. He's only 25. Jeez. Yeah, only 25. His only loss professionally was to Misha Serkinov. Uh, I'm coming off back-to-back -back wins, back-to-back -back performance of the Knights. Whereas Smith is a little bit more on the downswing. I mean, he won his last fight when he beat Devin Clark, but Jimmy Crute is not Devin Clark. Yeah, I'm going to pick Crute. I mean, I, I might be wrong here. Smith's certainly a capable fighter. He's a durable veteran. He's seen a lot. Seen it all, maybe. He's not an easy out, but I'm, I'm okay picking Smith. That's it. If Crute's not ready for kind of the rugged durability of Smith, this could be a bad night for him. So don't sleep on Anthony Smith, but I am picking Jimmy Crute. Uh, as for the prelims, go a little bit faster through these. Alex Oliveira, the dirtiest fighter in the UFC against Randy Brown. What's Randy been up to? Got stopped by Vicente Luque in August of last year. He has not kept a very active schedule, has he? Hmm. I feel like I should pick Oliveira. I'm not going to, but I should. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pick Brown, but I fully expect Oliveira to win that fight. Uh, welterweight Dan uh, Dwight Grant will fight Stefan uh, Sekulich. Grant, the body snatcher, got stopped by Daniel Rodriguez. That was a that was a rough knockout he suffered, man. That was rough. Sekulich done. I want to say he's fought in the UFC before. I'm trying to remember how many. Not more than two UFC fights. But let me confirm that. He is Serbian? Yeah, that's the Serbian flag. This guy is making his date. No, he did. He lost to Ramazan Amiv. Loosely remember that. Oh, geez, that was a while ago. That was in 2018. You loosely remember that fight? Very loosely. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna pick Dwight Grant there. That layoff's a problem for me. Another middleweight fight: Carl Robertson and Brendan Allen. That's a pretty good fight, actually. Uh, Robertson lost to Marvin Vittori. He's a good kickboxer. Uh, whereas Allen. Suffered his first loss in the UFC uh, in a long time, actually, when he got TKO'd by Sean Strickland. That was a good fight. I'm going to pick Allen there. But that's more kind of predicated on his ability to get Robertson down. Let's see. Featherweight fight. Patrick Sabatini against Tristan Connolly. Connolly, 14-6. and six. He's fought in the UFC. Yeah, beat Michelle Pereja in his UFC debut. Probably going to pick him. Sabatini's 13-3, and three, making his UFC debut. Yeah, all right, I'll pick. I will pick Connolly. 
Uh, as for the early prelims, see Dana Batgaril versus Kevin Natividad. I'm okay picking uh, Batgaril there. Is it Dana Batgaril or Batgaril Dana? I forget how the Mongolians do it. I forget if they do family name first and then uh, personal name. Like uh, places like China and Japan, Korea, they do that. They do the family name first. I don't remember if uh, the I don't remember if the Mongolians do or not. So I apologize if I'm putting that backwards, but I'm okay picking back. I'm okay picking Batgaril or Batgaray. Some weird way about the pronunciation there. I can't remember. But the L is not the L at the end of that is not pronounced. I uh, forget whether I forget how the E's are pronounced. Okay, picking him, I, I don't mind picking him over into Tivadad. Uh, Kazula Vargas against Rong Zhu. See or Zhu Rong, which is his family name. You're not gonna tell me. Zhu is his family name. Okay, so I tend to when speaking of. Uh, these kinds of fighters, I tend to refer to them as is appropriate to their culture. So if I'm talking about someone from a Western country, it's first name first, last name last. When talking about fighters from you know uh, Korea or China, I try to do the uh, family name first and the uh, individual name second. But yeah. Anyway, so Zhu is making his UFC debut. He's on a long winning streak. That is a really long winning streak. Um, where's Vargas? Vargas has fought for the UFC a couple of times. And lost a couple of times. Okay. We're we're given uh Zhu here a setup. So I will Oh, uh, we got a bunch of the Chinese fighters on this card. Alright. Yeah, I'll I'll pick I'll pick Zhu there. Uh at Flyweight we have Quilang uh, Quilang Arori. Aori? How do the Chinese pronounce that? I know the Japanese would pronounce Aori, but uh, I'll go with Aori until I hear otherwise. His nickname is the Mongolian Murderer. Is he from Mongolia, or does he kill Mongolians? Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. Uh, making his UFC debut, he's got a five-fight winning streak. Pretty good streak. Anyway, he's fighting Jeff Molina who is making his UFC debut, who won his Contender Series fight. Kind of a long winning streak of his own. What is that, five? Longer than that, six? Did he really get seven in a row? Eh, guess he did. I'm actually going to pick Molina there. Let's see, uh, we have Ariani Carnalosi against uh, Leong Na. Or Na Leong, I'm going to just I'm gonna go with Na Leong and just go with that um let's see Na is again also making your debut four fights in a row whereas Colonel Losi's fought in the UFC before uh oh yeah she got stopped in that fight with Angela Hill it was her first professional loss it's not a bad fight I'm gonna go with Na but I'm not sold on that and then kicking everything off we have Johnny Munoz Jr. and Jamie Simmons Munoz here lost his UFC debut against Nate Manis. Was his first professional defeat, whereas Simmons 
Oh, he got smoked by Giga Chikadze. I vaguely... Yeah, I remember that fight. Giga lit him up. Hmm. Go with Munoz. Not, again, not completely sold on that one. That one's a bantamweight, so... Eh. Go with Munoz, but not sold. Could go either way. A couple of... Anytime you get people with that degree of unknown factors going in, you're never sure. All right, that is UFC 262. I will be covering that Saturday in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania, so please do stop by, say hello. I always appreciate you people uh, coming by and doing so. All right, let's move on. What do we got next? Ah, yes. So Invicta FC, the all-female promotion, was sold to Anthem. This is the, I think they're still the parent company of Impact Wrestling. Uh, they've, they're just kind of trying to diversify their portfolio. I think they're going to be putting Invicta on Axis TV. Uh, if it leads to more success for the promotion, good for them. I mean that in all sincerity. Invicta, for those of you who may not have been around at the time, Invicta was conceived and brought to life with the express goal of fixing women's fighting. Prior to Invicta kind of popularizing some of this stuff, there there were female fighters on bigger car uh, on bigger uh, promotions, but they did a lot of catchweights. They there was no real structure to it. Invicta made a very consolidated point, concerted, concerted bleh, made a concerted point of going to each individual of setting up divisions. If you're going to compete for us, you will compete in this division. And just kind of pr bringing the structure of MMA to female fighting. They're they're a very important group in that respect. They still provide a lot of talent to other organizations. So if this leads to more success for them, I wish them nothing but the best. I watch Invicta still. You know, they're you have to know what you're getting into in terms of it's a lot of people starting their careers uh, rather than being finished product. But they put on good they put on good events. So. I uh, wish them nothing but success. Okay, let's see. Uh, all right. UFC 264 will be in Las Vegas. It will be at the... Oh, what was the venue? Crud. It's in Vegas. I forget which venue. Give me just a second. Um, they'll be at the T-Mobile Arena. Okay. They'll be in Vegas. This is going to be the third fight between Poirier and McGregor. Connor made some noise about not wanting to do it after Dustin pointed out that you didn't actually make the donation to my charity that you said you were going to. I don't want to get into all, I don't feel like getting into too much of that. Um, they So it's going to be there. They put tickets up for sale and the place sold out in minutes to the shock of no one. Uh, yeah, fine. I, I don't... Uh, I'd say I don't care. Um... They're going to fight again. Good for them. I fully... I won't be shocked if Connor wins, but I kind of expect a repeat of what happened in their second fight. Usually when you get trilogies, not always, but usually, what happens in the second fight is kind of what happens in the third. It kind of informs the third a lot more than the first. And especially in this case, with the third fight coming so close on the heels of the second, I kind of favor Dustin again. Without a whole lot of hesitation. Now we have a few other fights here, so let's kind of go through these relatively quickly. UFC 265 has a main event. 
least I assume it's the main event. Uh, that being a bantamweight title fight between a man, uh, women's bantamweight between Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena. One must feed Amanda Nunes on occasion. Um, I, I, whoever beats Amanda Nunes, whoever, because someone will, if she doesn't retire, someone's going to beat her, and we're not really going to see it coming. Is Juliana Pena that person? That will depend entirely on Juliana Pena's ability to get Amanda Nunes on her back. I am not sold on her ability to do so. That's my loose analysis as I think about the fight right now. Of course, as we get closer to the fight, hopefully something more in-depth and potentially enlightening will come from me. But at the moment, that's what you get. And let's see. Oh yeah, the last one that I have here as far as fight announcements go. UFC 266, a light heavyweight title fight between champion Jan Blahovich and Glover Teixeira. I have no issues with this being the light heavyweight title fight. I'm not interested in it, but that doesn't mean it's not the fight to make. It means I'm not interested, and I'm just one guy. So we have some titles up for grabs that that takes care of every UFC. Do we have 263? I'm pretty sure we do. Not, uh, 263 might get changed a little bit or get something else added to it. But at a bare minimum, we now have cards and potential main events for pay-per-views up through September, through the start of September. We have 261 coming up. 262 in May will be Oliver and Chandler. 263. Oh, jeez. It's going to be, yeah, this is the one that might change because right now, Scheduled to be headlined by a flyweight title fight between Davis and Figueredo and Brandon Moreno. Those two turned in the fight of the year in 2020. Uh, with a great last-minute addition to that argument. Should be a good fight. This is the one that they might want it. They might try to find something else to add to it. It needs a better... Does it even have a good... I mean, we don't have a bout order for any of this. So I'm just looking at the announced fights. And I'm not seeing even a really kind of sexy co-main... So that might still be missing missing something they're going to try to get there. But then again, they might just give those two the main event slot and say, let's see what happens. Uh, 264, Poirier McGregor, 265, and 266. We have pay-per-views and title fights set for the next several pay-per-view events. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with all of that. I have no issues. Good for them. I don't object to any of the fights, so we'll call that a win. All right, I'm going to check Twitter one more time, and then we will, if nothing crazy, we will get plugs and get out of here. All right, that doesn't seem like anything crazy is broken, so let's... What have I got this week? I uh, just recorded something. I just recorded a look at the uh, Kelvin movies for Star Trek. Uh, that's going to have to be edited and put up later by David Wright, but at some point in the future, myself, Mark Radlich, and David Wright will be releasing that. Um, I didn't do a whole lot last week now that I think about it. Uh, so what do I got this upcoming week? Sure, I don't forget anything. Today is... Um, yeah, uh, not really anything this week. Let's see, next week, next week stuff kind of kicks up. There's two different Damn You Hollywoods next week. Um, 
It'd be the 26th and the 27th. But for this week, yeah, just find me doing my usual coverage gimmick. Uh, Mondays, AEW Dark Elevation. Uh, Wednesdays, MLW Fusion. Fridays, WWE SmackDown. And then Saturday, UFC uh, on e excuse me, UFC 262. You can find me doing all those things. And yeah, that's what I've got. Not a whole lot of podcasting for me this week other than that, but you can find me frequently over on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. That's a subgroup of the W2M Network, so give those good people a follow. They put out a lot of content. A lot of it's really good. I'll be back next week. Until next time, everybody, thank you again, as always, for your continued support. Stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>